We continue with our July sermon series on the letter of James under the series title, The Law of Liberty, How Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. Today's topic is doing the word. And our text is James chapter one, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Last week, we learned how James urges us to receive God's good and perfect gift, the word of truth, the implanted word, wisdom from above, or if you will, the Holy Spirit. If we lack it, ask for it in faith with no doubting, for God has promised it to us. Today, we may ask James what comes next for those who are living in faith by wisdom from above? The answer is our text. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. From this short text arise at least three questions. First, what is the word we are to do? And second, why are we to do the word? assuming that you, like me, handle commands better when you understand their purpose? And third, how are we to do the word? First, what is the word which we are to do? I think James expresses it in chapter 2, verse 8, where he describes it as the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or as, James puts, as Jesus puts it in the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. In his discussion in chapter 3 of the dangers of an unbridled tongue, James writes, with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. And the examples that James gives of doing the word all involve serving the marginalized and the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the poor. For James, the needy are as equally made in the image of God and as entitled to respect and service as we are. As in the parable of the Good Samaritan, James understands our neighbor as anyone we encounter. The letter of James is so steeped in the vocabulary and concerns of the Sermon on the Mount, whose conclusion is the gospel reading you just heard this afternoon, that doing the word might even be described as becoming the kingdom bearers within the meaning of that great discourse of Jesus. But loving your neighbor as yourself is a fair summary of the royal law. This then is the word we are to do. Why then are we to do the word? Because it is a command of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And James is faithfully following his teaching. But why does Jesus command it? In our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 7, he says that doing the word gives our lives a firm foundation 
that adversity cannot destroy, like a man whose house can withstand a storm because it's built on rock, not sand. And James, in our second reading today, amplified the point with a different metaphor. He describes the liberating word as a mirror that shows us who we truly are. If we don't do the word and become hearers only, we are like a man who sees his reflection in the mirror and then walks away, forgetting who he is. Now this metaphor loses some force. You and I pass countless mirrors, and some of us even carry mirrors to look at our faces anytime we need to. But in the first century, a polished metal surface that would reflect your image was much rarer. And it was much easier to look, see yourself, and walk away, and not see yourself again for years, if ever. By doing the word, we are transformed. We become more and more who we are meant to be. Doing the word is not a burden, a duty, a ghastly moral obligation that stifles and oppresses us. By consistently loving our neighbors as ourselves, we come in the end to love God more deeply, and even to love and forgive ourselves more deeply. A wise Christian once told me, when I am resenting someone, I go and do something nice for them, and my feelings change. But too often, you and I let our feelings rule us, fear, and grievance, and resentment, and judgment. And then we withdraw from our neighbor, especially the neediest. So we lose the opportunity to become the word by doing it. Its liberating power is lost by disobedience. And we lose the only solid foundation for a life, which is, friends, a deepening relationship to God, who is the author and the end of that life. Finally, how are we to do the word? We do the word always and only as the outworking of faith. Faith is obedient trust, the gracious gift of God. And here we must consider the so-called controversy between James and Paul, which led Martin Luther to dismiss James's letter as, quote, an epistle of straw, quote. Luther, I think, was wrong, and here is why. It is true that James writes, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Whereas Paul, considering the same verse from Genesis 15 and verse 6, writes in his letter to the Romans, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But dueling Bible verses taken out of their context are no way to resolve a serious theological issue. 
If you read all of James's letter, and I hope at some point in the muggy month of July you will do so, you will see that he is condemning a faith which is mere assent, hearing the word with approval, but without any resulting obedience. Let's call this hypocrisy, for it is play acting. Saying to the poor, be warm and be filled, but not lifting a finger to help them. For James, works are the necessary result of real faith. Without them, faith is dead, like a plant without leaves has died. But the works James speaks of are not circumcision, Sabbath keeping, eating kosher, prayer three times a day, going up to Jerusalem for the three great feasts, ritual purity, studying and copying Torah, offering the appointed sacrifices in the temple. Works for James, as we have seen, are loving actions toward a neighbor in need, and they are not a substitute for faith. In the beginning of chapter 2, James writes, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Faith for James has real substance and content. Humanistic activity of a charitable nature is not a substitute for his high doctrine of Christ. Works are not a substitute for faith in James's letter, but a necessary result. And Paul, in Romans and Galatians, is doing battle with the Judaizers. Let us call them the legalists, those who would impose on Gentile converts the entire apparatus of Jewish obedience, beginning with circumcision. In Galatians, he concludes his argument against the legalists, quote, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Later, he adds, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. James could not agree more. James and Paul are dealing with different problems, the one with hypocrisy and the other with legalism. They describe the result of faith and its obedience in different language, but in a similar teaching. As 21st century Americans, how do we avoid mindless activism in doing the word? Too many churches, and you may have attended some of them, are proudly programmed churches every day, every hour it seems, for every demographic group, need upon need, task upon task, cause upon cause. These churches reflect a culture which is over-educated, over-informed, multitasking, easily distracted. These churches produce Christians more likely to attend a workshop on homelessness than to interact with a homeless person, whose attention span is the time between commercials on network television. If by heavenly wisdom and the implanted word of truth, you and I really believe that our neighbor, anyone near to us, is truly made in the image of God and as worthy of God's love and concern as you and I are, if by faith we believe that God is present in every situation, working to transform us, to bring us to fuller fellowship with him, if we believe by faith that God will triumph in the end and works together for good in every situation now, and calls us, commands us, to do the word by loving our neighbors as ourselves, then our obedience must be more than programmatic. It must be spontaneous, unplanned, contextualized, 
existential, personal to our situation, and persistent. If we are to be doers of the word, we must be interruptible, with tentative agendas. We must be poor time managers, with loosely held career plans, sort of like married women were before women's liberation, but volunteering for it, not trapped in it. Consider your daily encounters and how obedience might transform them. Who am I standing beside in this elevator? Who is making change for me at the cash register? Who has sat down with a deep sigh on that park bench? Whom do I hear arguing every night through the wall of my apartment? Who is sharing this pew with me this evening? If I were any one of them, what would I wish to have done for me? What would God want me to do for them? Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me faith. Every time we do this for our neighbor, we are freed to become a little more what we are meant to be, and God's mercy triumphs over our human judgment. So then, friends, in the immortal words of the Nike ad, just do it. Amen.